you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I've been struck by the thought that in many ways, this is the most significant thing we do all week. you ever thought about that? To gather with God's people and to open God's Word and to hear what God would say to us. This is the most important thing that you do all week. Not to take away from anything else that you do during the week and the importance of those things, but to hear from God um, with God's people is an extremely important thing. So let's approach God's Word in that way. Um, How many of you drink soda? Or pop? I know, I went real serious and then I went goofy, right? I thought of that as I was saying it, but the illustration's got to be here. So... (laughs) Um, Up where I was, we called it pop. Down here, I guess you call it soda. You can call it Coke, whatever you want to call it. Soft drinks. Yeah. Um, Let me give you some facts about some some 11 reasons never to drink soda again. (laughs) Soda increases your risk of heart attack. Did you know this? (laughs) Drinking just one sugary beverage a day was associated with a 20% increase in a man's risk of having a heart attack over a 22-year period. Can you believe that? Sugar drinks can change your metabolism. They make it harder for you to burn fat and lose weight. Soda has possible carcinogens. Uh, Even diet soda can be bad. Soda can make you lose your mind. There's some chemical that they say is linked to mental disorders. Soda is linked to asthma. Uh, Soda builds fat deposits all over your body. (laughs) That's rough. Uh, Soda consumption is associated with teen violence. Soda makes you gain a ton of weight. Soda could shorten your lifespan, and most soda contains BPA, which has been linked to infertility, obesity, and some cancers. So will you never drink soda ever again? (coughs) Probably not. (laughs) It'll be here at Potluck tonight, and we will open it up, and we will probably drink it, all things in moderation. Uh, but, But we're not convinced, right? It takes a lot for us to be convinced of something, to to change our mind or to change our actions. It takes a lot for us to to be transformed, to to think differently about something. We can give you tons of facts. We all know this about so many things that, that we do. We know we shouldn't do them, and we know all the reasons why we shouldn't do them, but we do it anyways, and we're faced with these dilemmas. In our passage today, the, the people are faced with a much more serious dilemma than giving up soda. <laughs> They're asked, how are they going to respond to the light of Jesus, to the person of Jesus Christ? Who, who is this man? And what are they going to do with all these bold claims? Whose side are they on? We've been asking that question. Whose side are you on? There's no neutral ground. Would there, would there be those who, who hear and obey the word of God or those who hear and, and reject? And all those questions are confronted, confronting people. And, and, and some are, are continuing to postpone this decision. They say, we're not ready. We need more. We need more information. We need to know something else. We're faced with this decision, too. What are we going to do with the person of, of Jesus Christ? And some of us want more evidence, but we need more time. We want to listen longer. We need m- more things that are going to prove who Jesus is. But Jesus continues to call us to, to side with him. And in this passage, he's going to deal with that group of us who say, well, I just need to know a little bit more in order to put my faith in him. I'm not ready to commit fully to him. Because that group was alive and well in Jesus' day, and it's alive and well in our day. 
And the call that he gives to us is to be filled with the light of the truth. He calls us to this. He says in, in Luke eleven twenty nine through 36, he's going to say, let the light of the truth of Jesus fill you with light. That's the call for us this morning. Let the light of the truth of Jesus fill you with light. It's all going to build to that. And so much that we've been thinking about in this idea of that there's no neutral ground is, is this final call to say, now it's time. Let the light of Jesus flood your life and change everything about you. It's going to be a strong call to us. This is not a weak call of Jesus. It's actually very confrontational and it hits us right between the eyes. Let's look at it here in Luke 11, verses 29 through 36. It says in verse 29, When the crowds were increasing, he, Jesus, began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp, when its rays, gives you light. Luke's describing a situation in Jesus' ministry. It's a, it's a time of increasing. You see that there in, in verse 29, when the crowds were increasing. It's obvious that the crowds are, are growing in number. More people are coming out to hear and to see what Jesus is doing. Everyone has heard about the way he speaks and the miracles that he performs. And so more and more people are coming out to see him. And as the the crowds increase in number, the crowds increase in intensity. The the tension is is mounting as more and more people come to Jesus. And a decision has to be made about, about who he is. At first he was some sort of novelty that people went out to see, just as they went out to see John the Baptist in the desert. But now he, he's starting to lay claim on people's lives. He's calling them to deep discipleship. And, and, and people are need, need to make a decision. And so tension is, is rising. It seems often in the Gospels that as tension increases... I'm sorry, as the crowds increase, that Jesus sort of turns up the heat a little bit to see where the crowds are at. We think about this in John 6, as people were streaming out to him, Lord, give us bread. And what has Jesus said? He says, I'm not giving you any bread. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they say, this is a hard teaching. And he says, yeah, that's on purpose. So that you have to make a decision about, are you coming out for the free meal or are you coming to follow me? And in some ways that seems to be what's going on here. He's forcing people into decision. The crowd is, is increasing, but Jesus doesn't want just a big crowd. He doesn't want just a bunch of people that think he's a, an amazing miracle worker. He's looking for people that are willing to lay down their lives and to follow him. He's not looking for a group of fans. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for men and women who are going to lay down their lives for his kingdom. Crowds aren't necessarily a bad thing. 
But we must always pause as crowds increase and say, do people really understand the message that is being brought before them? This message of laying down our lives. We've seen this in Luke 9, that that's what a disciple does. He who would save his life must lose it. Do we understand the call of Jesus on our lives? And so Jesus is bringing this call to bear on this crowd, saying, you can't remain neutral. You need to make a decision about who I am. So it's in the midst of this increasing crowd that Jesus addresses a group that was first introduced to us in verse 16 of this same chapter. You remember all of this is sparked from um, the miracle that Jesus worked by casting out a demon from a man who was mute. You remember that scene? Jesus casts out this demon from a man who could not speak. And that sparks all of this teaching that we've been looking at for this week and the, the two weeks prior. It says in verse 14, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. So everyone marvels, but there's also two group, other responses. Verse 15, Some of them said, He casts out demons by the the prince of demons. So they couldn't deny what they had seen. Something amazing had happened. There was no denying the power of Jesus. They just denied the source of that power. He said it was from God, and they said, he's doing these works by the power of Satan. Jesus addresses that concern and tells them how illogical that is. We've looked at that previous. But here's the second group in verse 16. While others, to test him, kept seeking for a sign from heaven. So there's this other group of people that say, we need to hear more. They, they want it a sign. And they want it to test Jesus. They, they want to see, is this guy really who he says he is? They're not, they're not ready to make a decision about his identity. They've seen him do amazing things. They've heard him say amazing things. But they want to postpone this decision until they see just, just one more. We want to see one more thing, Jesus. Show us one more amazing thing. And then show us one more after that. And then, and then another. We need more, Jesus. Show us more. They're testing him. They, they're not ready to make the decision yet. They want one more sign. And what Jesus is going to teach them, and what Jesus teaches us here, is that the signs given are sufficient. The signs that he has given are sufficient. He's given them enough information. That's what he tells us. In verse 29, he says, This generation is an evil generation. The crowd increases, and what does Jesus say? You're all evil. (laughs) Reminds you of John the Baptist. You brood of vipers, who told you to flee the wrath to come? They come to him, and they're streaming him, and he says, this is an evil generation. Why? It seeks for a sign. It wants more. It, It wants more and more and more signs. And because of that, he says, this is the sign I will give you. I'm not going to give you any sign, except for the sign of Jonah. Jonah. Uh, Trevor introduced us to that story. Let me re- recap again what he said. When we think about Jonah, what do we think about? Jonah and the, and the whale fish. Yes, it's debated. What was that thing that swallowed him? I, I'm not, we're not really sure, but we think about Jonah and the whale. Jonah was this Old Testament prophet. A prophet, a man who spoke for God. And God came to him and said, Here's the word that you are to deliver, Jonah. And I want you to deliver it to the people of Nineveh. And it's this. In 40 days, I will destroy them. In 40 days, I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah says, I don't want to go to the people of Nineveh. Because Jonah knows that if he delivers this message that says, in 40 days you will be destroyed, that that opens up the opportunity for the people of Nineveh to repent. And and Jonah knows God. He knows that if the people of Nineveh repent, you know what God's going to do? He's not going to destroy them. But Jonah wants God to destroy them. 
because Nineveh are, is the enemies of Israel. He doesn't want them to be preserved. And so he doesn't want to give them this message of deliverance. And so he, he gets on a boat and he goes in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. In the Jesus Storybook Bible that I love so much, it says he goes and he buys a ticket and he says to the man selling the tickets, he says, one ticket to not Nineveh, please. <laughs> That's what he does. He says, just take me anywhere but to Nineveh. And Jonah chapter 1 tells us that God, as he's in that boat, throws, is the word, he throws a storm onto that boat. And he's there with the sailors. And again, the sailors realize it's Jonah is, is the reason for the storm. And so the sailors take Jonah and they throw him into the storm. And that causes the storm to cease. And in God's mercy, it's mercy in this situation. In God's mercy, the fish swallows Jonah. He'd be dead otherwise. But God causes him to be swallowed up by this fish until he repents and then he's spit back on dry land and he goes to Nineveh after the word comes to him a second time. So what is Jesus talking about here? He says, here's the sign you get. Jonah. Jonah is the only sign that you will get. It's a twofold sign. And one's more emphasized in our passage, and one's more emphasized in a parallel passage. So let's look at the parallel. The parallel is in, is in, in Matthew 12. It has this idea of, it's, it's rooted in that picture of, Jesus, of, of Jonah being swallowed up by the fish and kept there for three days. This is what Matthew 12, verses 39 and 40 say, the parallel passage. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now Matthew expands on that. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'm going to be in the earth for three days, and then I will come out. That's the ultimate sign that I will give you. you You don't need any more signs. I'll give you one sign. It's the sign of Jonah, and I will be like Jonah. Except I won't just be in a fish. I will be dead. I will be buried in the ground. I will rise again and emerge from the ground. It's the sign of the resurrection. It's the greatest of all signs. It says, I'll give you a sign. It's the sign of Jonah. And it's, it's, it's kind of an enigma. Not everyone really knows exactly what he's talking about, especially until, until later. But he gives them this sign. But the emphasis in Luke isn't on that idea of being in the belly of the well. Rather, Luke emphasizes the, the teaching of Jonah and the response of the men and the women of Nineveh. Let's look at that. Verse 30, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah is a sign, a call to repentance, a sign of God. And then, and then there's two signs that are linked together, the Queen of the, of the South and the men of Nineveh. So what's going on here is, is it's, it's a courtroom scene, okay? You ever watch TV where they bring up a witness? So here's the witness. You're, you're standing, this, the criminal is standing condemned, and they bring witnesses up to condemn that criminal. And Jesus says, I'm going to bring two witnesses on Judgment Day. One will be the Queen of the South, and one will be the men and the women of Nineveh. The Queen of the South is the Queen of Sheba. And the men of Nineveh are those that heard the preaching of Jonah and responded in faith. And the emphasis here is on the word that came to them. If you look at this in verse 31, these two verses, if you were to break them down, are very parallel. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth. Why? To hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then it says about the men of Nineveh, they repented at what? At the preaching of Jonah. So the word of God is coming to people and they are hearing it. 
and they are responding to it. And for that reason, they're going to rise up and condemn. Let's think about the Queen of the South. It's the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba, not the restaurant here in Louisville, though that is really good. But the, the Queen, the literal Queen of Sheba, and she heard, um, she heard about Solomon. Solomon, the son of King David. And this man was given supernatural wisdom by God. And along with that wisdom, he had amazing wealth and, and power. First Kings 4, 29-34 says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And then it describes some of those guys. I don't know who these people are, but it says, He was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, and Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 Proverbs, which we have. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Everyone from all over comes to hear Solomon's wisdom, to see Solomon's wealth. And one of those people is the Queen of Sheba. She travels a thousand miles to come to hear Solomon. She comes and First Kings tells us that she questioned him to see about his wisdom. And in response, in 1 Kings 10, 4-7, it says, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the Lord's house, there was no more breath in her. Took her breath away. She said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came. And my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. She heard it and she thought it was fake. She said, that's, that's too amazing. And she says, what I heard wasn't even half of how great that you are. She heard of this man, Solomon, and she went to great lengths to see him and to, to hear his wisdom. How great Solomon was. How amazing was his kingdom. How, how wise he was. His teaching was beyond anyone of that day. And Jesus says, one greater than Solomon is here. And it's me. The Queen of Sheba came thousands of miles to see and to hear Solomon. And I am standing here and I am greater than Solomon. You have to walk across the street and you can hear me. To stand here and listen and you can hear what I am saying. And he says, because of that, I am here. I am ready. I'm speaking and you will not listen to me. You want to see more. You won't be convinced at what I am saying. And so the Queen of the South who traveled distances, who put all this effort into hearing the wisdom of Solomon, she's going to rise up in the last day and she will condemn you because you could have listened and you refused to listen to the truth. What about us? Are we this evil generation? Are we willing to go to the lengths that it's going to take to hear the wisdom of Jesus? It, it, it's right here. <laughs> we, have the, we have the very Word of God. We, we, we have... The account of who Jesus is. We have His very words. 
We can travel. We don't even need to travel at all. We hold it in our laps. And, and if we want to travel, we can travel <laughs> short distances to come to churches. We can get on the Internet and hear people speaking and, and preaching the truth. It's, it's accessible to us all over the place. We don't simply hear Solomon either. Who do we hear? We hear Jesus himself, the greatest king of all kings. No one ever spoke like this man is what people said. And we can pick up the Bible and we can read the Sermon on the Mount. We, we can read the, the, the prodigal son, the tale of the, the soils and the sower. We can hear the teaching in the upper room. We can read of, of Jesus' power over nature and over demons and over disease and over, over death. The one greater than Solomon is here and he's, he's speaking to us. He's, he's teaching us. But we want something more. God, I need a sign. I need to see something. Why don't you show up, God? Why don't you do something so that I can trust? Prove that you're here. Prove that you're real. When in actuality, we're just lazy. He has. He's given us evidence. But we're not like the Queen of Sheba who traveled thousands of miles. We won't even pick it up and see what he has to say. We won't examine the scriptures. There's those that if they want to know who Jesus is, this is the most important thing in the world. And you won't pick up the Bible and read about who Jesus is? Well, the Queen of Sheba is going to rise up in the end and condemn us, if that's what we say. Because it's right here. We're we're lazy. We don't put any effort into it. And so she's going to rise up because one greater than Solomon has come. But, But not only is she going to rise up, but the men and the women of Nineveh are going to rise up and condemn us. They're the other witness on the stand that comes because they hear the preaching of Jonah. This preaching where Jonah comes and says, in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. They heard that and they repented. They turned from it. Think about what they heard. They heard Jonah. He comes and he says, yep, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. For all we know, that was the only message that he had. He walked around for three days and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Trevor talked about what did he look like having just been spit out of a fish. And how excited was he to give this message? Not at all. In verse 4, actually, he goes and he sits outside the city and waits for it to be destroyed. He's hoping that they don't repent. He wants God to destroy the city. He's the most reluctant prophet in all the Old Testament. And so he comes and he speaks this message and his heart isn't in it at all. Have you ever listened to someone whose heart isn't in it at all? You fall asleep. You don't want to listen to him. And yet the men of Nineveh hear Jonah preach. And they turn. They believe. They say, we have sinned, and there is a God, and He does. He's going to judge us, and we deserve to be judged. We need to turn and repent. They listened, and Jesus said, one greater than Jonah is here. I am here, and I am speaking forth the truth with full conviction as the very Son of God. And I'm coming to you not just in judgment, saying, 40 days, and you will all be destroyed. I'm coming to you as, as the Son of God. I'm coming to you as the one who did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved. I'm here, and I'm preaching to you, and you won't listen. And the men of Nineveh are going to rise up, and they're going to say, Listen, we had Jonah and his message, and we listened. And you have Jesus, and you won't listen? You won't turn? You, you read the truth of, of what he says here and you won't turn and repent and put your faith in him and believe in him? What, what more do you want? What else, can Jesus, what, what else could Jesus do? What else do you want him to do to show that he's real, to show that he is the Son of God, to show that he is the one that has salvation? 
The hymn says, what more can he say than to you he has said? What else is there? And, and Jesus is saying, listen, those that had lesser revelation traveled far distance and put effort into knowing who I was. And those that had a weaker message from a weaker prophet turned and repented. And if you do not, they will rise up in the last day and say, what more did you want to hear? What else did you need to hear from him? The signs are sufficient. The signs are not only sufficient, though they are clear. That's the point of verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus has used this this before in verse 8, in chapter 8, and he's saying, Listen, I'm coming to you, and I'm not hiding anything. My teaching is not something that I've lit and put underneath a basket or hid underneath a bed. I'm standing here, and I'm proclaiming to you the truth of God as clear as I possibly can. This is what he says in, in the last days before his accusers in John eighteen twenty. He says, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues in the te- and in the temple. I wasn't hiding in little rooms. Where, where all Jews come together, I have said nothing in secret. He says, I am the light of the world and I've come and I haven't tried to hide the light at all. I have shown as brightly as I possibly could. I put myself on a lampstand and, and I've, I'm out in the open for everyone to see. Everyone can see this light. The, the sign and the message of Jesus are clear. The call to hear is clear. What more do you want? I think it's interesting. He, they, they want to see a sign. And Jesus keeps saying something about the word. It's an interesting thing in scripture. The way that we see is by hearing. The way that we see who God is often is by hearing the Word of God. That, that's what Jesus continues to hit, doesn't he? Listen to me. Listen to me. But Back in verse 28, Blessed are, rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. He wants us to hear, and by hearing, we see. We see the truth of who he is. There's this call to hear. And he's come and he's proclaimed who he is. He said it so clearly. And if none of that made sense... What about the cross of Jesus Christ? What, what more do we want? He came and, and, and He laid down His very life for us. He came and He, and he died. He, he placed Himself in the place of punishment. We were the ones that deserve it, just like the people of Nineveh. Just like the men and women of Nineveh who were wicked. We deserve the punishment of God. And yet Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he says, I will take the punishment for you. I will, I will go to the cross in your place. I will pay the penalty that you deserve. We all deserve death because of our sin. That's the natural result of sin. And yet Jesus comes and he speaks forth the mercy and the peace and the truth and the grace of God by, by not just living perfect and doing miracles, but by dying in our place. And then that ultimate sign of Jonah where he rises from the dead. And so again, I say, what more do you want? I think that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I've come and I've been as clear as I possibly could. I don't know what else you want me to do. I think that word is to us too. But maybe you just keep postponing. I just want to see something else. I want to know something else about Jesus. There's nothing else that he can say than he's already said. It's right here, plain as day in his word. If you will read it, if you will look, there's nothing lacking. And I think sometimes that maybe we need to say this word to some friends and family that continue to postpone, 
that continue to say, I'm not ready to put faith. And you, we just need to say what Jesus says. What more do you want? What else can he do than he's already done? It's a strong message, isn't it? Amen. But it's a, it's a beautiful message too, because what he does then is he says, now if you will receive this truth, then the truth of Jesus will change every part of us. The truth of Jesus will change every part of us. It will come in, it will flood us with light, and it will change everything about us. This is that, that second illustration. Now, in verse 33 and then verse 34 through 36, light is kind of the central theme, but they're two separate metaphors. So verse 33 is about the teaching of Jesus, that he has lifted it up for all to see. Verses 34 through 36 are, are kind of asking the question, have you allowed the light of Jesus to fill you? So he's lifted it up. Now, how have you responded to it? He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. So here's the picture. How do we, how do we receive light? It's with our eye. The only way that you can see light is with your eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. So the way that we can see what's around us is because light is flooding into our eyes. And so we, our whole body is enlightened. My, my hands are benefited by my eyes because I see the light. My feet are benefited by my eyes because I see the light and I know where to walk. But if our eye is bad, then it causes issues with everything. If, if you've got bad cataracts, you can't read. If you have glaucoma, then you, you have spots in your eyes and you can't drive as well. Or if you are blind, you, you are... Handicapped in, in multiple different ways, not able to do as much as you might. Now you can learn how to do things. Those without sight can do amazing things. And, and yet the, the illustration is if your eye is dark, then, then your whole body is dark. You have no light to, to function in all the other ways. And so he's saying the, the light of the truth comes to us. And if our eye is healthy, if our eye is clear, if it's single, then it receives that light. And our whole body benefits from it. So he says, what's your eye like? Have you received the truth? Or are you blinded to it in some way? Are there dark spots in your vision that you haven't received this truth? If our eyes are unhealthy, then we will be filled with, with darkness. That's that strong warning, isn't it? Verse 35. Therefore, be careful. Be, be careful. Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Watch what if what if you think you're full of light and you're full of darkness? That's a scary thing that he's saying. Because darkness kind of seeps in on us, doesn't it? You ever been sitting in a room reading a book and all of a sudden the sun sets while you're outside? You didn't realize and all of a sudden it's dark and you can't see. Maybe you're watching television and you're watching a TV show. And, and you start it, and, and by the time you finish, the sun has set, and all the lights are off, and the whole house is black. And you think, when did this happen? Darkness seeps in like that. And it could be, he says, that, that you think, he's, he's saying to them, you think you got this all figured out. You think you're full of light. You're full of darkness. You, you think that your religious activity is making you right with me. That's, that's darkness. You, you think that, that, that just being here and listening to me that that's all the light that you need. But you're full of darkness because you haven't turned and repented. Remember that picture of the man who, who, who the demon is cast out of, but the Holy Spirit does not come in. 
If we're not careful, it gets, it gets worse off if we don't let Jesus come and flood us with the Holy Spirit. So he says, be careful, be careful. That's a call to us. Watch out. Be careful lest the light in you is darkness. But then look at this beautiful thing at the end here. But, verse 36, If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. If your eye is healthy, if you hear the truth and receive it, and that's how we see the light, is through our ears, we hear it. If you listen to the truth of God and respond in faith, your whole body will be flooded with light. Everything. The light of the Word of God comes in and it infiltrates every part of us. It changes the way that we think. It transforms our mind. It changes what we desire to do. It transforms our will. We want to walk in the ways of God and we are able to walk in the ways of God. It changes our very heart, the seed of everything that we are. It enlightens us completely. If the light, if, 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 our, if our eye is healthy, if we will welcome the truth of God, it will flood into us and enlighten every part of us. And the truth of Jesus will change us completely from the inside out. I think that, that makes me say, I want to read this word. I want to know the truth. The truth is going to change me completely. We want to see something always. We want to see it with our eyes but realize that the way we see the truth of God is through our ears. It's, it's through hearing the, God, the Word of God as we read it. It's through being here and, and listening to the Word of God proclaimed that that's how God has chosen to transform us. There was a generation that saw Jesus, and His ministry lasted for three years, and they visibly saw Him in front of them. But since then, He has given us this record of Him, this account, so that we can see by reading and by hearing And don't think that it's a negative thing that you weren't actually there. This is a more sure word, 1 Peter tells us. It's here. It's here. Read it. So again, I say to us that the signs are sufficient. He has done more than enough. What else do you want Jesus to do? He has come into the earth as the very Son of God, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He performed all these miracles. He raised people from the dead. He healed them from their diseases. He gave sight to blind people. He, he did all these things. He cast out demons. And then He was condemned for your sin and for my sin. He went to the cross. And He died in our place. And then He gives us the ultimate sign of Jonah. He's buried in the earth for three days and He rises again. And He ascends up to the Father. And there He lives forevermore. And He sends the Holy Spirit that continues to show His work in this world. So what more do we want? There is nothing else that He can do. And if we don't listen to Him, then those with lesser revelation will rise up in the last day and condemn us. But if we do, if you would receive the truth of God, if you would turn in repentance and faith, and and if we would allow God's truth to continue to flood our lives with its light, it will change every part of us. It will enlighten every aspect of who we are. So I, I would appeal to you, listen to the Word. As he says here, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let the light of Jesus, the light of the truth of Jesus, come into us through our eyes and through our ears. It will change us completely. 
It will enlighten every part of who we are. Father, we thank you for the wonderful light of Jesus. He's come in the world shining brightly. Lord, he's not hiding himself. He's up on a lampstand for all to see. Lord, we have so many prophets of old who who wrote down things that they understood in part, and now we understand in full, or they, they were serving us. And so we have this revelation of, of who you are. Lord, and it is, it is beyond sufficient. But even if we only had part of what you've given us, it would be sufficient, but you've given us so much. So I pray, Lord, that we would receive it. I pray for those that maybe are here this morning and they want something else. They've been waiting for a sign. They've been praying for a sign. Lord, may this be the sign. May they receive the sign that you've given, the sign of Jonah, the sign of the Queen of Sheba, that, Lord, they have enough in your word. Lord, I pray for those of us that continue to to turn other places. Lord, even as your children, we, we say we need to know more. We don't need anything else than what you've already given us. Lord, flood us with the light of your truth. We want to be wholly enlightened by the Word of God. We want it to change our minds and our hearts and our wills to, to completely transform us. So Lord, let the light of the truth of God flood us and transform us. Lord, may on the last day, may no one rise up and condemn us because we did not listen to Your Word. But rather, God, may Jesus rise up and say that we are Your children, that we have been saved by Him that we received the light that you have given and received it with joy. Lord, let us receive the light of Christ and be transformed completely. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.